Hello and welcome to episode two of the Full Course Show Jumping podcast. We've been overwhelmed with the support we have had from our first episode, so we thank you all very much. To help us out, please like and follow our social media pages and subscribe and review our podcast. We would love for you to get involved. But before we start, we'd like to pay tribute to the 2018 Hickstead Derby winner, the late Billy Buckingham, who alongside Will Funnel also competed at the 2018 World Equestrian Games. Our thoughts are with Will Funnel, Pippa Funnel and the Billy Stud team. This week, we're delighted to have on our podcast, James Wilson, a young rider who made huge strides last year and we can't wait to hear his thoughts. And today we're really happy to have James Wilson, who last year broke through jumping on international teams for Great Britain and were placed in many five-star Grand Prix. How are we doing today, James? Yeah, very well, thank you. And with the virus and everything that's going on, have you kept your horses in work? Yeah, we've kept them ticking over, doing a little bit, just to keep them fit and in shape, you know, a few small jumps and stuff, just, you know waiting for a date to for us to really work towards yeah definitely it's it's driving me mad that you can't can't go in, out to a show and it's it's feeling way too long as it is yeah it's very di- very difficult to to make a plan like that so we mentioned earlier about the virus obviously all shows are now cancelled for the foreseeable future and of course the olympic games is postponed as well till next summer I'm assuming that was obviously going to be your main goal for this year so how disappointing was it to hear that it had been postponed and also, how has it changed your plan as well? Yeah, very disappointing that it's been postponed. Um, nice now that actually today that we got a date as to when it is going to happen next year. Uh, we'd planned sort of everything, you know, leading up to it to give us the best possible chance of selection. You know, I can only feel for the people that perhaps knew they were going to get selected, had horses absolutely ready firing all cylinders for that. So to have that taken away is, is incredibly disappointing. Yeah, but with an extra year, do you think that might actually help you for your chances? Because you have a lot more experienced riders and with you only just getting into the top level, could that extra year actually help you? Yeah, I think definitely. You know, just to cement yourself further, you know, at that level, you know, try to get some more results, you know, show show some good form. Um, she's she's 12 years old, so she, you know, 13 should, shouldn't make a big difference particularly um just you know she's sound she's re- ready to go it's just a little bit frustrating yeah. that we've got to wait one or one more year to find out but maybe maybe it'll be better news in a year's time than perhaps it might have been this summer yeah de- definitely but uh like we we're saying in 2019 you have probably what was one of the best breakout years we've seen in a long time and before then i don't think you'd actually jumped at a four or five star show Yet now, like we're saying, you're in a great shout of competing with a place on an Olympic team and you're on a GCL team. You've had results in five-star Grand Prix and World Cup qualifiers all over Europe. But what we'd know, how does that make, how does that feel to break into that top level? Yeah, it was never, never really in my plans to break out quite like that. I always thought, oh, 2019, that would be a really good to to really push for a three-star Nations Cup and then at Sunshine Tour we sort of thought we might have a three-star Nations Cup sort of in the bag and then all of a sudden at the end it was how do you fancy Le Bull and you know we yeah that, that, that sounds that sounds unbelievable but you know I started to actually to be honest get nervous about two months out from Le Bull really 
Yeah. So was... when you got the news, what did, what were you thinking? Well, they just said, you know, do you think you'll be ready for then? And I obviously just replied, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes Mumbled it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I, I was totally convinced myself, but, you know, you've got to take those chances when they come along. So, so we made sure that we we'd warmed up well and we were there and ready for a shout at the ball. And actually, it was quite nice at the ball to then even be the fifth man. So I got to sort of step back, not have the pressure of the team, and ju- and just watch. And actually, that's when we saw Amy Ingalls actually step up and and jump an unbelievable clear, and then one time fault in the se- in the second round. But you know that w- that was actually very inspiring to watch. Obviously, you mentioned Le Bull, you know, it's a five-star Nations Cup. And obviously, there were big names there, some of the best in the sport. Does it ever shock you when you jump against the biggest names in the sport, um, especially when you followed, you know, show jumping for many years? You've always looked up to them. Yeah, I think um, when you sort of, when you first start stepping up to sort of three-star and four-star shows, you know, even even three star, you you encounter these these names anyway at these shows. You know, maybe not with their top horses, but you you see them. So you gradually sort of build up. You know, uh, you a little bit of a, a knowledge of jumping against some of the top names. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, as, as you go on, you meet more and more. It just so happens that out of five star, they'll all be in all be in one place. <laughs> so I don't I don't think I don't think it was a shock. Or, or anything to to have them there you know like it's it gives you a sense of satisfaction i think when when you're there because you feel like oh you know now now I've made it's time. it yeah well not i don't know whether you feel like <laughs> you made it when you just get there you know, when you start to win, win as much as scott or ben or something yeah. like that that's when you feel like you've made it but you know when you when you feel like you feel like you're, you're there or thereabouts you know yeah obviously you mentioned scott and ben just a second ago are there any other top riders that have been really accommodating or kind to you and given you any advice that you've kept with you? Well, Scott actually was really helpful. I actually hadn't really spoken to Scott at all or or even really met him before, like Stuttgart. And there he actually came came straight up to me and helped me through the Grand Prix and the World Cup, you know, with the course and exactly what he thought I needed to do and you know any questions I had he answered straight away so you know that that was that was really helpful and then other places like Olympia I was second to go in the Grand Prix and I didn't was a bit um not sure on on a line six or seven strides and Rob Whitaker said oh you know without me even asking you know oh I'll watch that and I'll let you know so they're all they're all quite accommodating when you when you get there they're all willing to help. That's really good. And you mentioned Olympia, obviously, last year, 2019. That was your first time jumping in the five-star classes. How was that? Yeah, it's an amazing show. I know everyone goes on about it and says it's their favourite show and it's special because it's around Christmas. But I, mean, I don't think I've ever been in a prize-giving quite like Olympia where everyone was screaming their head off. <laughs> with, you know, with the, I think because there was... There was a lot of British in that lineup, so I think it it gave the crowd something there to cheer about. But we'd been there, you know, the last two years we'd been there for the under twenty three, and then what became the under twenty five classes. So we had a little bit of a feel for the show and and going there, what it was like. You know, it might have only been for like a day, but you got to you got to feel a feel for the show and feel for the atmosphere of what what you can expect. I know the those younger classes are all in in the morning. So you don't you don't have the big crowd there, but 
you know, when you when you go in for a big class anyway, you try not to, or I try anyway, not to really acknowledge that the crowd is there and just getting on with the with the job in hand of just jumping the jumps. And in terms of the Grand Prix, obviously you came four, Scott won it. How was that against some of the best in the sport, being there in that prize giving in front of a home crowd? Well, when I was in third, obviously Scott was last to go and I was in third place. But, you know, I obviously had uh, Edwina was leading, Holly was Holly was second. And there was a little bit of a gap there between me and Holly. And, I, you know, obviously we know what Scott's capable of in the jump off. So, you know, I didn't for a moment think that I wasn't going to be beaten <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to be honest and you know when he what he, he flew around the course and you know to have a British rider win win that class was a, was amazing and he came up and he you know I went and said well done to him and he was um you know equally said well done back and it was you know it, it, it's nice isn't it you know like to see a rider like that again just win another win another Grand Prix in, in front of you yeah, and like you say, the the crowd at Olympia really get behind the British riders. And so after you jumped clear in the Grand Prix, what was that reception like? Well, I was, yeah, second. I I said I was second earlier, but I, yeah. I could have been third, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the first one went in, I can't remember what they did. The second one actually went clear, and I was third to go, and I was the second clear. So obviously I had a cheer, and I was relieved I jumped clear in... in the Grand Prix Olympia, but I started to think, okay, this is going to be so many clear rounds. So yeah. I thought, you know, what am I going to be up against in the, in the jump off? I don't know. But then actually, as it turned out, there wasn't anywhere near as anywhere near as many clears as we were ex- expecting. So, you know, and I just thought I'd go in there and just ride as quick as I can really and try and get a result. And so like we were saying last year, you had such a good year. How did you change anything to make yourself have such a great rise? No, I think we always planned at the beginning of the year to go to Sunshine Tour and try to, because Sunshine Tour allows you to jump three stars and then a couple of four stars there. So we thought we would we would go there and get some big jumping in on grass for the beginning of the season and hope that we could pick up some results and get noticed. And that is what we did. And it's not that we really changed anything. What we did, we kind of have a way of doing things and just kept believing that the the horse was good enough and the way we were doing everything at home was good enough obviously there's things you learn on the way from different people and the way you manage your horse etc but i don't think as far as actually changing anything to get there there was there was nothing that we we did particularly we didn't change trainers or do anything particularly special we just kept you know learning as we went you know there's always people that give you tips or say something that might help you and and to be honest I'm very good at just taking a tip and just thinking about that a lot and trying to you know make it make it work for me and that's that's really the way we've done it are there any tips that you particularly say that you've held yourself from from another rider uh I don't know whether there's from an well I've had tips as as I've gone along which have been appropriate to the courses that I've jumped and obviously a few bits in the help I've got or something that people have said, but you know, like mainly just, just keep your hands up, keep your body up. Really? <laughs> you know, it's, it, as basic as it sounds, it's something that's actually really helped to jump clear. 
obviously we mentioned when we introduced you the Global Champions Tour, it's a massive part of the sport now. You're on a Global Champions League team this year. Tell us more about your teammates. Who are they? Uh, so I'm part of the Scandinavian Vikings team. And we have Gia Gullickson, Christian Alman, Hendrik von Ekman, Evelina Tovac and Teddy Block on our team. Well, that's really exciting. Obviously, the first few events of the season have now been delayed, sort of postponed to later on. Does it make you more excited to jump on your first Global Champions Tour? Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to get out really to any show or even get out <laughs> out of the house, to be honest. <laughs> it's getting a little bit dull being inside now. Um, but yeah, I can't wait. to. I was meant to be in Mexico right now or, or Miami, one of the two. So... Yeah, I can't wait. I don't know which one's going to be my first one. I think Madrid was scheduled to be my first one, but I, every um, big show around that has been cancelled. So I think Madrid will be the next one that's cancelled anyway. So I don't know. But I, I know I can't wait to get out there and, you know, get back to the big shows. And Global Tours is something new that I've never done before. I'm looking forward yeah, I think, to it. That's you meant. You mentioned being at home, obviously, quite a bit. Are there any new skills you've learned? Are you doing the cooking, the washing, or is that Heather's side of the operation? Um, new skills at home. No, I've been been doing a little bit of... I'm a little bit of a neat freak, and I enjoy a little bit of uh, <laughs> edging to make sure all the grass has an edge to it. <laughs> and it's not just, um, you know, growing wherever it wants. So I've been doing a bit of that, making the place look nice on top of just keeping the horses running. But anything, just try and keep your mind sane, really. <laughs> and uh, we, like we were saying, the Global Tours, they're getting more and more popular and it's becoming a bigger part of the sport. But you made your first five-star appearance through a Nations Cup. Do you think they still hold that top value? Yeah, I think to put a, um, you know, a, a British team jacket on is something that, you know, fills you with a lot of pride and something that I think there's always going to be there, you know, pride wise, but, uh, the, you know, the global tours offer a lot of, a lot of prize money to the riders and with the sport being as financially demanding as it is, you know, it's a big incentive and, you know, you get great venues for the global tours and, you know, that sort of thing. And the nation's cups were, are, are absolutely fantastic. So, I don't think you're ever. I don't think they're going to lose value or anything. They're so prestigious, you know. The history that comes with them is huge, and it allowed me to get up, up to that level. And I think it will always be something that I'm incredibly proud of doing. You know, I think it, I think, you know, to measure your Nations Cup appearances against your global tour appearances, I think you know, I think it's pretty obvious which one mm. means more. You know, jumping for your country or, or on a team, it's, it's two different things. And I think that's the same in any sport. You know, no matter how prestigious your even your football club is or something, you know, everyone talks about, you know, putting on a, a jersey that, and, and you know, that you're competing for your country. Yeah. It's always, it's always going to be Definitely, special. I completely agree. There's, there's no feeling like going into that parade, is there, of we're on, yeah. we're the British team at a, at a show and I think that uh, yeah I, I mean how do your parents take it I mean they were they were huge in the yeah, sport yeah my, my dad's very much a tra traditionalist on that sense so he's always going to be a Nations Cup enthusiast but obviously with the prize money now on offer at all the global tours I think 
and that I can see why more and more top riders are diverting towards there. But like you say, what means more historically looking back at your career, the the double clear on the Nations Cup would you'd probably hold in higher stead, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think definitely. I think I, de- I definitely agree with that. I don't know what what Sam thinks in regards to that being coming from a bit more of an outside point of view. How you? I too, I totally agree. I think global champions tours are great, and as you say, it's an expensive sport, and everybody's getting involved with them. But actually, Nations Cups for me, I think, will always be prestigious. You look at Hickstead, you look at Le Ball, they are some of the best arenas that we are lucky enough to have in our sport. The other thing I think is, James, looking at it from your point of view as a young rider, really, those Nations Cups really got you into the big time, didn't it? It sort of got you into the five-star World Cup yeah. shows. Yeah, it's a huge thing to be able to, to go to those shows. And, and the team is the thing that allows you to do that. So, and I think that's, ha- you know, it's not just me. It's happened to so many other people. You know, if you haven't got a, a ton of horses behind you, to, to climb up the world rankings, you know, to get yourself into the, the top 50, 30 in the world. You know, you'd need those Nations Cups and, and a team appearance to be able to get you into those. And then once you're in, you know, you then, then can perform and then show everyone what you're actually capable of doing. And in terms of World Cup points, because to keep getting invited to those shows, you either have to be in the top percentage on the rankings... But it is important, isn't it, to jump some good rounds in those World Cup qualifiers to to prove that you're capable of it so that you get invited to more and more of them over yeah, the winter. Yeah, you know, we started off Oslo and Helsinki and then, you know, went there with a, you know, a solid plan of, of thinking we have to pick up points if we're going to carry on. And that was a bit the way my whole season was last year was, you know, treat every five-star show as if it's your absolute last because you've got to go and do something in order to get the next one and then the next one again. Um so when we went to Helsinki and Oslo, we had we had to pick up points, and then we did, and then that led to Stuttgart, and then it led to Olympia, and then it led to Mechelen, and then actually, you know, we had the choice of more because she was actually one of the only horses in the world to pick up points every single time at, at every single World Cup qualifier that she did. That's- so then we- then we had to make a choice as whether we we're going to carry on with the World cup and and look towards the final or think about the summer and then that that thankfully was when we decided oh actually we won't pursue the world cup final because i can only imagine how i would have been feeling now if i'd have tried desperately and pushed the horse to qualify for a world cup final it'd be cancelled yes that would have been devastating like especially with all the people who would be going and what would have been your first time to get have that taken away from you straight away would be absolutely devastating yeah, I mean, I'd probably be on in tears now. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that interests me is you mentioned earlier that you had a plan for the season, but how important is it to be able to adapt your plan and change it to benefit your horses and, and as you go through the season, maybe how you think or the shows you want to be going to? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's really important to have a plan, but like you said, it is equally as important to be able to, you know, switch switch things around switch horses around which ones are going to go where and and shows you know like i said we didn't really know exactly which ones we were going to but we knew we had to make a a bit of a you know statement each time in order to justify being selected or asked to go somewhere else but you know like die was very good to us last year and she allowed us to go to like poland and stuff for 
for a five star there as an individual because um, um, Team GB weren't sending a team. So that allowed us to do something there. But, you know, we got a result there again. So we were allowed to do something else. But, yeah, it was just treating every show like it's your last, really. That's great. The other thing that we wanted to discuss is going away from the sort of the serious side. On the full course, we do our best to try and let people see the other side of riders. So, gentlemen, it's your turn now, James and Will, to tell us something that we didn't know about you. I can, I can tell you something about Will. <laughs> go on, Will. You can tell your own James, story. Go on, and go on, and then James will hear you. Go on, James. So something about me. Yeah, something about... You? Well, you can do both if you want. Okay, I'll start with me. So I used to be a... Uh, a, well, not a gymnast as such, but, a, but a, an aspiring <laughs> one. And I got accepted into a, a very good gym club and decided, you know, this was perhaps something I wanted to pursue and there's something that I was actually naturally really quite good at. But then I decided to give that up um, for the horses because there was too many girls at the gym club. Uh, um, yeah, explain that logic. I, I... You only went for the lycra, didn't you? James? That's what it was. <laughs> how to how good were you actually at gymnastics? Because I, <laughs> for knowing you, I just, for some reason, I just, I couldn't ever see you doing a flip. Yeah, no, I was actually, I was actually very good. It was something I did from very young, and I think like, like a lot of kids just did gymnastics as a kid, didn't they? You know, for their parents to, well, I don't know, as a club for them to, <laughs> to have, or, or did they? <laughs> did anyone else go to? No, gymnastics? I never went to gymnastics. <laughs> I can't say I did either, well, I but there told. we go. Maybe that was then, your... That's what that's everyone did. did. That's what, but at least, at least you got <laughs> yeah. to talk to all the girls. Yeah, I didn't do much talking <laughs> there because um, it's too shy. <laughs> oh, dear. How can yeah, you change? Now you can tell yours, Will. So, for people listening, and I'm now doing a podcast about show jumping, uh, when I was younger, I was not keen on horses at all like at all i played football every single weekend and didn't do much with the horses and one summer where football obviously wasn't happening and i was sent off to junior camp because i probably annoyed my parents one too many times and (laughs) probably 10 too many times but there we are um and so i sent off not knowing a single thing about horse care they're hoping to sharpen me up and went there with my pony and we had to do our d test so we're doing the d test which is the the most elementary of all the pony club test and i'm you do all your exam your riding exam your questions and you're sitting there with all the, say, 30, 35 kids who've done it, sitting there on all the hay bales. And one by one, they're getting called up. And you're waiting your turn and everyone's going, my friend's gone, <laughs> the next person's gone. Everyone's around me. Until I'm the only person sat there on the hay bales. And they go, well, thank you very much, everyone. And I was the only person sat there with the rest of the parents. And I, oh, okay. <laughs> did, you, did you think, I'm going to be the star performer? <laughs> <laughs> that, he that's got the why they've left me to laugh that, I was like oh you know waiting yeah probably right I was like oh I'm going to get a really really big standing over there. no I wasn't even allowed on the stage and well, but I was going to say a couple of my answers and to see why that I might have actually failed was 
they asked which me. Which you only learned last year. Which, yeah, right? yeah, I've I've learned I've learned a couple of these now. Um, the first one was uh, name three parts of the horse, and I said the head, mane, and tail. And I, I thought I nailed that <laughs> one. And the second one, they which really confused me, they asked me when we're pointing out parts of the parts of the horse. They said, "Where's the pole?" And I looked at them completely blankly, thinking that it was a trick question, and was like, "On the jump, nailed that one as well." <laughs> so in my mind, I got full marks, but I don't. I now know that they that wasn't the answers that they were looking for. So luckily, and I do now know that more. And, than... and did you pass the test since? Uh, I haven't actually passed my D test, but we skipped to the C test, and I got halfway through. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you passed. No, because, uh, yeah. We, we, well, we tried the C test, and I, I don't know. I don't think I finished the, the road riding thing, but I might have a certificate lying around somewhere. But but, but probably not. Probably not. I've, but <laughs> since then, we have, have been. I do now know a little bit about stable management, luckily. That's good. And I'll think of my story and let you know at the end because I can't think of one just now, but I will come back to you on that. James, one of the stories which you told me when we last had a chat a few weeks ago, which I thought was brilliant, which you haven't mentioned yet, but I can't remember what shirt it was. It was a five-star show and Pierre Schweitzer was there giving you some advice um, on the course. Could you share that story with us? Because it is so funny and I think everyone has to yeah, hear so, it. So I was a bit stuck in Mechelen as to who to ask for the course walk for the World Cup because I was quite early to go. So I thought I need to ask somebody and not just guess down these distances and just perhaps have a half an idea because the class is for obviously for a lot of money. So I thought, oh, I just, you know, like everyone does, you know, congregate around, the, around that last fence, you know, in, in the course and sort of got near Pierce. And then he said, and then I said, oh, do you mind if I just go through the course with you? And he said, yes, yeah, that's fine. And then... Um, Went through it with him, and uh, he he went went down there, you know, just just very quickly over it. And I said, "Oh well, you know, what do you think here?" Just trying to ask him a little bit more, just try to get a little bit more out of him. But then, any time that I asked for a little bit more complicated answers from him, he just dropped straight into German, and then I had absolutely <laughs> no idea what he was talk- talking about. And I, all I had to do was nod my head at him every time. He just broke into German, but he he was doing a little bit of leaning back, so I just took that as sit up, and then uh, you know he'd he'd wave his hand forward, that meant move on. <laughs> so I just took more more sign language from him really, and then <laughs> afterwards it, it it clearly worked because we both jumped clear. But just one, so, do one you secretly things. know a bit of German? No, I secretly <laughs> do not. <laughs> yeah. He, he had Google Translate out on his phone whilst he was whilst he was with Pierce trying to Google what he was going on about. <laughs> I'm not that sneaky. But from from like I was saying, how I started out riding through the Pony Club, how how did you start out your riding career? Uh, mine started again through Pony Club, and then we just you know did a bit on the pony. So it was like thirteen and just eventing a little bit. You know, one day events and stuff and then I got a nice pony to jump you know a bit of show jumping at sort of 13 so we did a bit of that till I was sort of and then that's where I really mm. got the bug for it and then we 
after when I was sort of in sick form, that AS level, I decided that actually show jumping was was absolutely what I wanted to, to do. And if I was going to pursue it, that I needed to go and do it full time, you know, for somebody to get a job. We didn't have anything at home. You know, we didn't have, we don't have any stables or an arena or anything, actually even a flat field to jump on. It's just one, we just had one <laughs> jump on the side of a hill. So the hill if we were going to do anything, <laughs> yeah, they were fit. <laughs> um so i decided we had to well i had to get away if i was going to do anything so that's when i got my first job and i went to stuart harvey's he has produced so many good horses to grand prix and olympic level so that's that's where i really learned the the real basics and what to look for in, in young horses and he had a great way of doing it you know it kept it very simple very clear you know there was no no big secrets to it just you know all, all the things that you do with young horses just has mm. to be consistent um so uh, and from then then i went to to holland to again ride like young horses and then we just rode loads and loads of horses so we had like 30 on our list and we took a, could ride 12 a day obviously being 30 the other ones were lunged walkers so you know you'd ride one horse perhaps three times during that week yeah so you know every time you got on to ride in the ring you had you just had to go in and just try to really just jump a clear really it was a bit like catch riding your own horse and how how was the experience (laughs) of you know getting all of your riding basics from holland yeah i think i think i did it in a a good order you know i learned how to sort of do it and then i got to Mm. practice it there and you know we used to just go in and just try to just try to work it out for yourself you know I think that's been really important it's something I've sort of always kept is the ability to self-learn and there I learned how to do that you know if you knock defense down or or two down or whatever in in the ring you know it wasn't actually ever going to come out of the ring and anyone was going to say that was bad or this is what you should have done it was okay you knocked two (laughs) down you know it was up to you (laughs) Yeah, it was up to you to work to work it out. Uh, you know, if you wanted, we got to keep our prize money there. Um, so, you know, and, and Sundays we all had off. So Saturday night we might go out or something. So if we wanted an like, extra bit of money, then it depended on us mm. doing well at the show. So it was it was quite a good idea to start working yeah, things out. to try out. and get everyone to be a bit more competitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd w- win a little bit of bit of money and then you could yeah. actually do something and did you have much mentorship from the people you were riding for what now then, or, when or you then? were you know as a young rider trying to go through the ranks yeah like from Stuart yeah. he's always been on on the other end of the phone but when when we were at in Holland we just it, it was just just a bit you, of a free-for-all yeah. really just yeah there was three other riders but you know there was no one to put out the fences you kind of just mm. jumped what was there you know, made sure there was some jumps that were yeah. a bit smaller or something, and then you just you got some Grand Prix to walk to... when you jump in the five. <laughs> no, 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 and then we just we just picked it up yeah. like that, really. Just kept, just kept Repetition. riding, you know. And you had all all different, yeah, exactly, all different types of of horses. You know, they say in every sport, you know, you have to practice and you have to train and and you know you have to put the hours in, and that's where that's where I feel like in my career, that's really where we put the hours in. And then you move on from there. How did you go to setting up on your own? Obviously, now you're based with Heather. Tell us more about that, about how you went from the transition of working for someone to building up your own string of horses so we, and stuff. 
after I left, I came back to England just to, I rode for some friends of mine, not for actually any money, but they were, they had some nice horses and they said, you know, just to tie you over, you can ride some nicer horses. So that's what I did really. And then I came, then I sort of needed to earn some money because there was, there was no one else, you know, supporting me then. So I needed to come back. So I went to work for a friend in England and then, ended up leaving there and then I was a little bit stuck as to what to do and I just um started seeing Heather and she said you know I phoned her up actually whilst I was in Belgium and said you know I'm I'm coming home in two weeks and I don't actually have anywhere to go (laughs) and uh, she said right okay hung up the phone within 20 minutes rang back and said mum said um she'll help she'll help I start and you can have two four you you know we'll start you with two Mm. four-year-olds and I said oh you know I couldn't believe it you know someone actually offering to Mm. do that for me and so so we sort of went there and I sort of had doubts to start with to be honest because I never it was never really a big dream of mine to start my Mm. own stable or to to do it for myself because I always thought you know I'd always ride for people and um so that that's how that started and then we just kept Mm. going and then we we built up a bit of a stronger team of horses i mean we don't have loads of horses now because i also just rather ride horses that were Mm. good or i saw a future in and then we heather actually had um imagine jamuz our best horse as a seven-year-old that she just bought and she was you know just starting to show jump because she'd evented and then she went up with her until you know two years ago when heather decided that she didn't want to ride anymore and that i could have um uh Coco and carry on and have a go mm. myself. But that's amazing. Really it's what a wonderful story. Um but then I suppose you know it it'll plain sailing, no, I suppose it doesn't seem like that. But have you had any set setbacks or have you had to make any sacrifices well, to get where then, you are it now? Felt very mm. difficult. <laughs> like, back then could you ever <laughs> yeah. envisage yeah. what you know what's happened now? Never. No. No, no, I don't. No way. I couldn't have. I couldn't have thought like what I've done. You know, even if you'd have asked me a year, like in twenty eighteen, mm. do you think you're going to do that? Twenty nineteen, yeah. I would have yeah. said no. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like I mean, every month, every month yeah. was a surprise. You, you know, you like you obviously work mm. for it, and you just take it one step at a time, one show at a time. But you never, you never think, oh, this is this is me set. This is what I'm going to do. It, you know, you try to you try to be ambitious in in what you're doing and and aim mm. for those things, but. You know, to act, to actually achieve them is a different different thing. But being really, really lucky with uh, Sue, Heather's mum, like her support through the whole thing is incredible. And she never doubts, never doubts what we do or what I do. Or I never have, to, I never feel like I have anyone to have to mm. answer to. You know, and like she's got got your back the whole way. And the horses that she's allowed me to ride and the the shows she's been al- allowed me to go to has just been second to none. But I mean, going back to you saying setbacks, I haven't had anything that's really pushed me back. I've had stuff that's perhaps made me stand still a mm. little bit in what I'm doing, but I've always tried to always think, oh, I've got to keep moving forward. I've, got, you know, I've always thought time is against me. I need to yeah. catch up, you know, because that's how I sort of felt when I came off mm. ponies and doing that, that. I needed to catch up and I needed to keep moving forward. So that was always on my mind, and now I finally feel a bit like more like, okay, now I'm actually where i want to be now i just have to keep keep going 
keep asking for a little bit more and keep going. And sacrifices other than the fact that you have to love the sport and it has to be everything that you do every day. Is there anything as well and maybe any other sacrifices you've had to make to get where you are or just is it just purely loving the sport so much? Yeah, I think so you have to be absolutely it? obsessed with it. You know, you have to be obsessed with show jumping as a whole, love the whole thing. You know, I love it right the way down, right the way down to the bottom, to the breeding side mm. of it and everything. I love looking at all the bloodlines and everything and what's doing well. But I think in terms of actually sacrificing things, I think only my education. <laughs> you don't need that anyway. <laughs> which was, which was willingly yeah. sacrificed at the time. And, um, yeah. But yeah, you, you leave home when, you, when you're young, don't you? But I don't think I've done any, left home any earlier than anyone else has. I think there's been a lot of people that were probably left before yeah. me. And, you know, I, didn't, I, I had to go. There was no, no, there was no choice. Option. So. No, exactly. So I don't think I have, especially, you know, like as everyone does at this level, you know, if you're doing any sport, you have, you kind of sacrifice half a social life. (laughs) You know, you meet everyone at shows and everything like that. You have a good time, but you know, in between, you know, all your friends are dotted around Mm -hmm. the country. So that, you know, that, that, that makes it harder, I guess, but I know we're well used to whatever sacrifices we've taken. We're well Mm -hmm. used to by now. So it doesn't, I don't. I don't look at myself thinking poor yeah. me at all. And what about you? What about you, Sam? Have you had to, any suggestions <laughs> where you have have in your commentary career? Setbacks, not really. It's one of those things that actually yeah. is so hard to get into. If you look at your top shows, pretty much anywhere in the world, it's the same voices, the same commentators, yeah. who are all fantastic that have been doing it for so many years. Um, really you yeah. can't get into those bigger shows on your own and actually there's so many that I can think yeah. of that have been an incredible support that have really helped me not just you know sometimes how to phrase things and, and change things around to sound that bit better but actually more than that that have really encouraged me and sort of got me into mm. some of the bigger shows that I've been lucky enough to do um, as you guys say, you know, sacrifices, of mm. course, you know, we're all on the road, aren't we? Competing, YouTube, me commentating. It is a sacrifice, but I think like the both of you, I absolutely love the sport. I've grown up with it. It's something I'm so passionate about. And, and really to be able to do that as mm. a job is Definitely. everything that I've and ever to dreamed get, of. To really. get into those bigger shows from commentating at a, you know, a, a lower level to then make that step up to the to the bigger, better shows. Is how how is that done? Is that because someone's listened to you, or is that because you've commentated with different people along the way that they've said, okay, yeah, this guy's good, and then introduced you to different people? How is that done? It's a mix of both, really. I think you know you pick up quite a bit of work as you go from people listening to you and sort of coming in having a chat and oh you know you did a good job and we want looking for a commentator for our show Uh, but the bigger shows if I'm honest I've been lucky enough to do horse of the year show for the first time last year and London globals and those two really have been the commentators that they have in place that have basically taken me under their wing and, and brought me in so I am grateful, just mm. like you two are, to the people that have got you where you've got, to all of them yeah, for assisting yeah, absolutely. me. Mm. But it's hours of research. And I think people don't realise that it's like the riding. You have to do so much at home. It's the same with the commentating. The preparation you do for those shows, mm. it's notes, it's hours Looking and hours people of up research. Looking people the start list. What is... Yeah, exactly. Which is your average class at those shows mm. will last about an hour. 
with 30 in it, you'll do probably six, seven, really? eight hours plus for yeah. those 30 riders. Will, Will looks people up and start this for fun. <laughs> 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 we have to with this podcast you see to work out what we've all been doing that's the thing but what about embarrassing moments is there anything in your career any embarrassing moments uh, yeah there was a, there's a funny story when i was i went to dave mcpherson's for a uh, a job and and it was a, it was a job trial and jake saywell was there training at the time and we were we were given a course plan by Dave and anyone that knows Dave is he's very meticulous and he's like a perfectionist and he drew out this course plan for us with a ruler and everything with distances down there is basically to scale you know exactly how many meters between each fence exactly what jumps to use in this course and I got given this and I was like oh my Christ I cannot believe I've been given a, a course plan this detailed to build at home but I got it, I folded yeah. it up, put it in my pocket. And Jake and I were actually sent down to Duncan Ingalls' place for Jake's show horse to a client and and for us to actually try one and for Dave to for for us to then tell Dave what we thought of it and everything. So we went down there. We decided it was about four o'clock and we decided, all right, well, we must get to Duncan's on time. Uh we'll leave the course until we get back. So we, we went down to Duncan's and we said, got down there and, and we'd arrived a bit early because we were very conscious of being late. And we got this course plan out because Duncan said to us, oh, how are you getting on there? And we said, he said, oh, you cannot believe the course plan we've just been given. Look at this. Show, showed all of them. <laughs> they were all going, oh, it's typical Dave, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, you know, everything being so, so perfect and so well thought out and, and um, we were laughing about it, and uh, you know everyone was, you know, around the course plan laughing at whatever. And then um, sort of put that away, and then carried on. Showed Jake's horse, and there was another horse there, and me and Jake were trying to be really professional. We sort of picked the horse to pieces, went through everything with each other that we were going to tell Dave when we got back. So we looked all professional. We were only eighteen. Jake was I was only eighteen. Jake was younger than me. And then we got we got back in the lorry, and we drove back and unload the horse and then we said Christ it's dark now we're going to build the course and then we we thought well Dave <laughs> did say we needed to build it for tomorrow because first thing tomorrow we were going to jump and we said so we're not going to have time tomorrow so we said alright we'll, we'll build it now with torch, torchlight yeah that's fine so we got it, got it out, went to find the course plan could not find the course plan anywhere because we'd been showing oh, it to everyone and we went, we'd obviously <laughs> passed it to someone and they hadn't given it back so this, then we started to panic yeah. massively. That, and we were too scared to ask Dave and tell him, you know, we got the course plan out and showed everyone. So we thought we won't won't say that. We'll just we'll get on and, and just build it. So we went on and built what we thought was it and distances what we thought, thought were there. Obviously, it was completely wrong. And Jake decided to build what he thought Dave, uh, he thought Dave would love because we couldn't find the other half of the course. So we thought if we build half of it and then the other half and some exercises that we think Dave would like. So Jake built some bounces on a curve. And I said, Jake, this is not what this definitely wasn't in it. Oh no, no, James, this is what this Dave will love this. Well, Dave definitely didn't love this. <laughs> we got out, got out the next day and he made us jump around or he, had, he made Jake jump a few lines before it became too dangerous for us to carry on. And then we had to, 
jump a few other lines and do our stupid exercises that we put out thinking we were geniuses. And it, well, he just screamed at us and shouted at us. <laughs> so, James, last week we had a really good interview from Joe Stockdale and he told us his favourite memory so far in his career. So what has been your favourite memory so far? Uh, the St. Gallen Nations Cup last year. Um, it was my first time on a British team and we were the sole British double clear and one of only six in the combina- in the competition. So that was pretty that was pretty special to do that. It was an incredible achievement. Like your first team you've ever been on to do as well as you did and under such intense pressure. Like how did it feel to jump that first clear? Yeah, a bit of a bit of a relief really, because it actually didn't have a very good round in the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it was the day before or yeah, the day or two days before, and actually had to retire. Mm. So to to come back and and jump double clear was was actually fantastic. To get to get that first clear actually was um, an unbelievable feeling. To be honest, as much as it was like I couldn't really even believe when I looked at the at the at, at the board, you know, to see zero up there was yeah as much of a relief as anything because I was a bit worried about you know should I actually be jumping this on on this team after after the grand prix but it was just you know I I spoke to to Di and and Heather and everything and they and they both just said you know go go in there have 100% faith in you and just go in there and give give everything with with no regrets yeah so like 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 you said you had a a not a great round in the grand prix before like, how does that change your mentality going in? Because you've gone really well at Le Ball and you've gone there in good spirits. Did you, you know, when you were walking the course, were you? Did you have any mentality problems or anything? No, not not really, because you know, like I didn't walk the course in the Grand Prix and think oh, I'm going to mess this mm. up. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so you kind of go into the into the nation's cup course walk with like the idea of this, this really has to go right now, mm. you know, and, and really listen, I'm really focused and break every bit of the course down into individual fence, just jump one fence at a time, get each fence jumped and then, and then move on to the next, you know, as simple as that sounds, mm. you know, but we sort of had, we'd had a, we'd had a talk with Di and she said, you know, make sure you, you know, we're, we're not going to wait for this, you know, if if anything goes wrong in the first round, he said, you know, we get stuck in from the from the very beginning, from the first round, and we make sure this goes right. Yeah. So, so that's that's the kind of mentality you went into it at, you know. And after I got, got the the first clear under, you know, uh, under my belt, I sort of just thought, actually, it was kind of it was it was a bit weird because I kind of just thought, there's no way I'm not going to jump clear a second time. You know, yeah. like I just thought, I just sort of almost thought I'd done it before I had even done it. Whether you know that. You know, that's not arrogance, but just just confidence yeah. that you kind of believe in, in in what's just happened, and you think, you know, okay, if I did it once, there's no reason why I can't do it again. You know, it should be easier second time yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you didn't feel more pressure going in the second time. You were just riding on the first round, and you think, well, we can easily do it again. Yeah, I just I just thought, you know, just go and just do the same mm. again. You know, they told me, you know, that the BS were great in that respect. You know, like all the videos were sent to you directly yeah. before the second round. And then they said, OK, watch this back. Is there anything you think you should have done differently? And actually, I only changed one line and I'd, I'd added down one line on eight or a nine distance. Mm. And then I'd gone nine. And then they said, OK, it's better if you go eight next time. So I did. But you know, she, she was clear the first time. She clear the second time, yeah. you know. So, yeah, 
in that in, in that way, no. No, it's, it was it was incredible to see like you come from where you've done to to jump that double clear. Like it was amazing. And I'm just going to go back to Sam. Like we were saying earlier, do um, have you got your answer yet? I've got my answer to the question right about what you didn't know about me. And this has always been my claim to fame. Once, and I say once, I beat Jodie Hall McAteer in a show jumping competition, right? And I never forget this. I, when I st- Listen to this story, gentlemen. So when I started training, when I first started riding, I actually went to theirs um, to start. And I was trained by Jodie's mum, Mandy Hall. And I never forget, every Thursday night they had shows. And we went every single week with our ponies. And I never forget once I beat Jodie. And that was my claim to fame. And ever since that day, every time I see Jodie, it springs into my mind that one competition on a Thursday night when I was seven and she was on a top 138 pony. And there was me on the pony that I'd had two weeks. And I went in and I beat her. So that is my claim to fame. Smashed it. That's one thing that you didn't know about me. (laughs) <laughs> oh perfect <laughs> so, do, you, do you I have another question go ahead what do you ever feel pressure when you're commentating and you know to, to say everyone's all the horses names correctly and all the riders names absolutely correctly do you do you go through that before exactly what if anyone has a difficult name or a horse's difficult name to pronounce it if I'm honest, when I first started doing it, yes, a little bit, but I guess it's like the riding now. It's sort of the same as, you know, your mentality when you're jumping those Nations Cup. I suppose your first one is the worst, but the more you do it, you sort of get into a flow, you know, you pick up your microphone and in some ways you sort of just feel at home. Um, yeah. There's been times, I guess, when since I've been doing it, when I've been nervous for sure. I think Horse of the Year show was my first time commentating there last year. Um, and then London Global Champions, I did some five-star classes there last year. Those two, yes, of course, you know, you sit down and you're looking out thinking, oh, my God, there are so many people here, um, such a big crowd. But I don't know, it's it's surreal, isn't it? And I think you sort of get into the into the game and get into the job. And, and before you know it, you're actually halfway through the class. And so, no, not really. Oh, that's very good. Perfect. And finally, to leave us the last bit, James, can you give our listeners a little bit of advice, whether it be a riding tip or a bit of motivation? Uh, wash your hands and stay two metres apart. <laughs> <laughs> and any for a starting out rider? <laughs> um, my advice for a, a rider would be probably to, you know, be obsessed with the sport and constantly ask yourself why. I think if if you keep asking yourself and you can and you can break things down by yourself as to why something went wrong and to find fault and put it back together again then then you're then you're halfway there the ability to self learn is 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 huge and of course a lot of people go on and say oh yeah um you know brush that off forget about it but you know every time there is when something does go wrong there is something to learn from it so don't just chuck it chuck it away and move on because there is something that you did wrong there that that needs correcting and i think if you i think if anybody is able to to refine that skill then then they're actually you know three quarters of the way there really mm. that, that's great advice for anyone who's a young inspiring rider 
And But thank you so much for joining us today, James. It's been a pleasure to have you on and we'll be looking forward to see how you get on through the rest of the year. So, Will, part two, obviously, we discuss a topic and this week we've decided to discuss our favourite show jumping moment as sports fans. So, you can start. What's your favourite show jumping moment as a fan? Well, as a fan of show jumping, one moment that tops my memory the most is... Rio 2016, individual final, Nick Skelton finally broke through and won the individual gold on Big Star. To me, that moment was just incredible. It was the redemption that he, when he should have won the four years before in London and the gut, how gutted he was in that stage to then completely change it around. He came in almost the last qualifying position into the individual final and then to jump double clear and then be the first one in the jump off and then beat everyone from the front was just phenomenal. Yeah, I think it was amazing. But the thing for me that struck me the most is watching that medal ceremony was how much it meant to Nick. The emotion, Mm. it was, that for me was the best part is just seeing how much it meant. Definitely, like, at that moment, I can only imagine, like, you've worked your entire life and that individual medal was probably the only thing that Nick had had left to win. He's had such an amazing career and keep it down to almost his last ride in like top, top competition to win it like he did was just phenomenal. And even rewatching it, Mike Tucker's commentary, which I'm sure as a commentator yourself, you're always looking at who was one of the best. And to hear that all come over you again, it still gives shivers down my spine and to see how much it meant to him, how well he did to turn it around was just phenomenal. I just think, though, big star. Every time mm. I saw that horse jump through the years, it just got better and better. And there were times when I thought, I don't know how it's going to make it over the fence, but it just seemed mm. to do it. It just, to, to me, when you're watching it, you just never thought it would have a jump down. I think that was in London, to go back to the heartbreak there, like when it had, I think it was the third last jump down in the second round. You were you just couldn't believe he had a fence down. It, it, you just thought it was unstoppable. But the the horses he beat, like he he came in in thirty third position out of thirty five that qualify, and the horses that he beat he had Pedro Fredrickson who was who won silver on All In, Eric Lamar's on Fine Lady who was last to go. He had a quicker time but had the second last fence down. Steve Gerda on Nino de Buisson. It just super, super horses that he he beat out to, to claim it. And to do it from the front, all the pressure on you, you've, you know it's the hardest position to be in to go first to go and then jump off. And he just flew round and just made it so that if you were going to try and beat his time, you had to do something too difficult that would make them have a jump down. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point to make. I totally agree. Um, talking mm. of sporting moments my favorite obviously I'm going to stick with the Olympics but I'm going to go back four years from Rio and go to London I've picked this sporting moment for numerous reasons one because obviously I live in London um, and the way that the whole city came together when those Olympics were on it's almost it was quite funny really you're on the train and people are talking to each other which I'm sure you've been to London (laughs) people don't do that you know, you get on, you have your earphones in, you're listening to music or you're reading a book. People don't communicate. 
Or listening to a podcast. Or a podcast, exactly. <laughs> or a podcast, of course. But when the Olympics was on, people were talking, they were cheering each other on. Um, so for me, the Olympics as a whole was one of the best memories I ever have of living in London, where I've lived all my life. Uh, but then obviously the show jumping, I mean, wow. Team GB, mm. gold medal. Again, that was amazing. I think our whole team there with Scott Brash, Peter Charles, Ben Mayer, and of course, Nick, just absolutely jumped incredibly in front of the home crowds. Mm. The pressure they must have been under with literally the whole nation behind them. It, mm. it must have been immense, but they just didn't crack, did they? They just sort of kept it together. They did so They did so well, all of them. And what was, you know, underappreciated is that Scott, that was before he turned into the world-class show jumper that he is. He was still inexperienced at the time. He had his, his top horse, Sanctos, but he'd still, he, just before he hit the proper big time, he was, you know, being nurtured by Nick and being helped by Rob Herkshire, who was chef to keep. And it was that sort of, that baseline which helped him like reach into the heights that he became and like you say like Nick who literally did not put a foot wrong the whole time he was again he was first to go double clear and was so fast in the jump off that you no one could beat him and that almost that round beat the Dutch team because they're like well we're gonna have to do something special and just like he did in, in 2016 he'd done it before to win the team gold there it was just phenomenal and being there I, I were you there when you with, are we watching TV? I actually was really lucky. I was there on that day. We were, and actually, were better than that, it was a Christmas present from my uncle, and we yeah. were sitting in the athlete section. Oh, amazing. So imagine that young me, massive. Yeah. This is way before I started commentating. I was riding, loved the sport, and to sit mm. with the athletes and have Rob Herkstra sitting in front of us with the British team. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that was, I never forget that day. In fact, I have a photo of me with Rob Herkstra and the British team, and it made my it made my life at that time. Honestly, it was incredible. <laughs> um, and just speaking to like Nick, Ben, Peter, and Scott, they yeah. were all so down to earth. You know, mm. you could honestly go up to them and talk to them about your horse or their horse or what their plan is, and they would tell you. Uh, so mm. I think that was incredible in itself that you're surrounded by all of the best athletes in the world, not just British, but, you know, as you mentioned, the Netherlands took uh, second place and then obviously third, taking mm -hmm. bronze with Saudi Arabia. Um, Switzerland did really well as well. A lot of my heroes from growing up were there in London, in my mm. hometown. So it, it was amazing. And the moment for me of all of that, which honestly brought a tear to my eye, and still thinking about it, I get emotional, is when they were in that jump off, Two teams in the jump off, right? As we know, Britain, Netherlands. Mm. In comes Peter Childs, and he knows what he's got to do. If he jumps clear, it means that the Netherlands don't need to jump off their last rider because we're guaranteed the gold. In comes Peter, biggest round of applause you've ever heard in your life. Dead silence. Mm. You could hear a pin drop in this arena. Yeah. And then he's going round, halfway around the course. Everyone takes a sharp intake of breath. And he's coming down, coming down round the corner to that last line. Still picture it now on the far side from where we're sitting mm. to that London Bridge fence. And he knows and everyone knows if he jumps that, we win the gold. And mm. as he took off for this fence, 
everyone in that whole arena in Greenwich Park sat back in their seats, sharp and take a breath, landed clear. And I've never been in an atmosphere like it. The whole mm. arena just erupted. Everyone was on their feet, screaming, cheering. Um, and it was so emotional, actually, watching that. Mm. And just watching Peter and the whole team, how much it meant to them. Oh yeah, it was it was great. Like the the atmosphere at that stage because we hadn't won a medal, a team gold, I think since the fifties, and to then to come back in the home, like you say, the home crowd under that intense pressure to then pull out the gold, which was, I mean, achievable, but it they wouldn't have said they would have been favourites, and they they just rose to the occasion. They all did fantastic, and like you say, how it meant to them, it was hilarious as they were going towards the podium. Nick jumped on before anyone was supposed <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just to see that was absolutely brilliant. And some of their interviews afterwards, especially, I remember they they uh, caught up with them at, at night with Claire Balding, and they were obviously having a very good time, and their interviews were fantastic. With the, <laughs> later at night after they'd obviously had a couple of celebratory glasses of champagne and that was it was brilliant how much it means to and as an aspiring rider you can only imagine what that would be like and that's the aim for everyone and even now it still send, sends shivers down my spine and you ride around each day just imagining that moment that last person in and jumping clear to win it I'm sure there's no feeling that ever could have topped that no, I don't think there is. And you speak to people like Nick who've got medals and been on so many Olympic teams, same with Peter Childs, and they mm. say it actually never it never sinks in. It's one of those things no. that is always surreal. Every time you look at the medal, you think, wow, it takes you back to that moment. And you can yeah. sort of, I guess in your mind, you sort of relive it, don't you? You sort of look at that medal and you remember exactly what happened and mm. I suppose sort of some of the emotions that you were feeling at the time when you won that medal. Oh, of course, because like you, there's it, so many lows in that go into sport and so many hard times, so many setbacks to then get to that absolute pinnacle of the sport. It was, it'd just be amazing. And I hope as every single rider does you get some of those moments that you could go god that was amazing i agree i think that everybody whatever level you're riding at that is your, your goal isn't it i mean it doesn't get better than olympics mm. no the olympics is the absolute top of the sport and to be in that even there is phenomenal and to win a medal and or as they have both nick did it individually and the team did in 2012 to win the gold, are you just that is just amazing. And anything that, anything close to that, and anything to get a gold medal, any sport is brilliant. But I think show jumping, as much as any sport, it's so everything has to go well. Every single thing. There's only one tiny mistake can put you completely out of the running. And I think you've and there's no second chances, is there? You've got you've got to do your absolute best every single time, and everything has to go well. So, for it to come around like it did then in front of the home crowd was just brilliant for show jumping in, in the UK. Yes, no, that I can definitely vouch for. But I don't know about you. I think that what we should do now is ask our listeners what they think. What is if you're listening? What is your favourite sporting moment from show jumping as a fan? 
let us know send us a message like us on facebook follow us on instagram and let us know because we'd love to hear what you guys think thank you very much for listening to this episode of the full course show jumping podcast don't forget to follow us on instagram it's full course sj podcast or you can send us an email and that's the full course sj podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you